Hello and welcome back to the episodic audiobook series. We had finished uh, the Seed Me horror novel just at the end of December 2020. So that uh, whole book is done. You can find it on audiobook on all your major platforms, or you can find it on this podcast here if you go back and want to listen to a horror book. It's all there. Now, we're moving on to the new book. And this new one, I'm very excited to share. It actually came out uh, around the spring of 2020. So like during the height of the pandemic, and then the world went into chaos. And now we're in the new decade of 2021. Fire, Pain, and Ruin, a Rutherford Manor novel. This is a standalone sequel to The White Hand, uh, which came out in 2019. Now, both Fire, Pain, and Ruin and The White Hand have very different, uh, different themes, and they cover uh, almost a different genre, where Fire, Pain, and Ruin has more of a paranormal element to it, and it's about family relations and the struggles of uh, growing up and understanding and growing into your own responsibilities, where The White Hand was more of a thriller taking place in uh, the turn of the century. Now, and because of the lack of a uh, physical launch is the reason why I am doing a Fire, Pain, and Ruin uh, episodic audiobook, because it gives the chance for a lot of people who normally see me at conventions across uh, Western Canada to actually listen to the book. And of course, you can always grab it from Amazon to get the ebook and print. The print one's there too. Or you can enjoy the weekly episodic uh, series where we are actually going to be doing two chapters per episode, unlike the Seed Me uh, series. And the reason for that is Fire, Pain, and Ruin has shorter chapters. They're about half the length of what Seed Me chapters were. And that's just natural because uh, writing changes over time, and Fire, Pain, and Ruin is a different type of book. Seed Me came out in 2016, Fire, Pain, and Ruin came out in 2020. So they, uh, yeah, that's a lot of years to grow as a writer. Now, I will share with you the synopsis of the story, and then we'll jump right into it. Rutherford Manor has entered a new era. Spalding Savage and his wife, Penny Savage, raised their twin daughters, Lisa and Louise, in hopes of a normal life. All while the Fleshers further their dark interests through the secretive new contracts involving the government, ultimately funding Spalding's wishful dreams of a simple life for his family. The past fails to stay behind as Spalding is haunted by a ghost long since forgotten. This leads him to lustful temptations, disregarding everything he stands for and challenging his morals to the core. Lisa and Louise try to make sense of their abnormalities of their home, Uncle Knox's secret laboratory, Uncle Billy's large body-shaped bags, their mother's headaches, and their father's late work nights. They face adulthood traumas, trying to find their own feet against their violent heritage. Lisa struggles with the hardships of first love. Louise faces a tipping point due to the involvement of a new family in the town of Rowley, the Connors. Mr. Connors is the first to treat Louise with a kindship that she is unfamiliar with from men. The twins discover otherworldly secrets from the midwives of Rowley, 
The savage girls join them in their ritualistic practices, unaware of the lurking evil that they are about to unleash. Nothing could prepare the midwives or the savage twins of the horrors that waited beyond the worldly. Some doors should be kept shut. The savage twins learn that despite their growing differences, they must come together for their family or risk losing each other forever. Act 1. The Corruptors. Chapter 1. Bloodline True. Life moves too quickly. One moment, you're swinging fists at Fight Club, brushing as many vasy broads as you could, and then the next, you find yourself married with a baby on the way. Who would have thought 1896 would look like this? Standing outside in the clear night, Spaulding reflected on his life. Fatherhood was near. The days of a bachelor's freedom diminished. His wife lay in the bedroom, and he knew that tonight he would be holding his child for the first time. How had this happened? And so suddenly, there was no direct answer to the question. Spaulding knew it. He was simply going through the cycles of life, the same as everyone else. He was only experiencing nostalgia for a few key aspects of his past, while the years in between blurred. A family was a natural course for all good men. Spaulding's father had raised him to be who he was today, a man of honor and duty. Spaulding lived by that. Sure, he missed the past. He held it dearly. But now, he had the duty of fulfilling his new role in life. He would carry on the Savage family name by being a father, possibly to a son. He could raise the boy just as his father had raised him, to be a strong and loving man. Spaulding tapped his pocket watch repeatedly, looking at the hands as the seconds ticked by, lost in thoughts of family and code. He eyed the etching on the inside lid, script stating, Gerald Savage, the name of his father. The watch grounded him in times when he was nervous. The cool wind of dusk did not bother him as he sat on the veranda. He was too fixated on his thoughts. Spaulding wondered if he would make a good father, and would he continue to be a loving husband? There had been trials in the past. Women were tempting. His dear wife, Penny, didn't quite understand the world he lived in. He couldn't blame her. Spaulding's past was unfathomable to most. Alistair, Spaulding thought. It'd been years since his former business partner passed away. Yet, that didn't make it any easier. He felt alone, with no one to relate to. Life had never been the same. Alistair had to die all too soon. Spaulding, came a soft voice. Spaulding looked over to the entrance of the manor. There stood a middle-aged woman in a long green dress and poncho. She stared at him with an expression of concern on her face, framed by tattered brown hair. Rowan. She had never cared much about grooming herself. None of the midwives did. Thankfully, they treated Penny with the utmost respect. Still, Spaulding couldn't help but wonder why they didn't clean up a little. Maybe they'd have a man in their lives. You're still out here, she said with a smile. 
Spaulding put his pocket watch away and stared beyond the veranda, watching the setting sun. I know. Don't feel shame. The sisters agree that it is fair for you to join in the birthing process, Rowan said while walking towards him. I know. It is just abnormal for a man to be present during birth. Rude, in fact, Spaulding said. Truthfully, social customs were only a part of the problem he had with being near his wife and the other women in the manor during the birth of his child. A part of him was scared. He didn't want to admit it. He also knew that only one kind of father was frightened of their own unborn child. A coward. Spaulding continued to fiddle with the pocket watch that was in his coat, staring into the darkening scene. He didn't look at Rowan as she placed her hand on the back of the chair he sat on. A father, he thought. A groan came from inside the manor, emanating from upstairs. Even with the front door half-closed, Spaulding knew that groan. That was Penny, using all her strength to bring their child into this world. As I have said, and Rachel, and Elise, we all think it would be best if you were to be around during the birthing. Yes, it's abnormal, but what isn't abnormal at Rutherford Manor? Spaulding smirked. Nothing. I've been around long enough to know that. From my few visits here, I concur, Rowan said while patting Spaulding's shoulder. Watching your child's birth is no different. It's a good omen for you to be with us. Yeah? Spaulding asked. Your visions tell you that? He was a practical man. Visions, vibrations, and energies didn't mean much to him. Still, he respected those that invested in such beliefs. After all, Rutherford Manor was full of the unexplainable. Logic couldn't dictate everything that happened in this world, and he was willing to accept that. He was also wise enough to keep away from it. You know Penny's background, right? Spaulding asked. Rowan nodded. Yes, the sisters and I are very much aware of the fire. It just seems strange. Then again, she is a flusher. Rowan looked to the ground. It was obvious that she did not know what to say to Spaulding. The offhanded comment about the fleshers was something only he could understand. Alistair would have known his meaning, being a flesher himself. But he wasn't here, and he never would be. Unfortunately, Alistair's son wasn't as easy for Spaulding to relate to as his father had been. They worked well together, but the personal touch was missing. That was another story, though. Maybe I'm biting off more than I can chew, Spaulding thought. He had worked with the Fleshers all his life, just like his own father had, and now Spaulding had found himself married into the family. It is perfectly normal to feel nervous. A miracle is about to take place. You and Penny worked together to bring this child into this world. It is a blessing. One could say it's even the power of the divine. Spaulding smirked. The divine, huh? He asked. I'm not sure about that. If such a thing were true, given my history, I'd be quite the holy man. Rowan sighed at the crude comment. Spaulding could tell his wit wasn't going to get him anywhere with Rowan tonight. He straightened his posture. It's not so much the nervousness of being a father, he clarified. I think. Yes, the fire. A fire can mean many things. 
Rowan said. For one, her home had been burnt down, and if it hadn't, she would have never been brought to you. This is true, Spaulding said, folding his arms. Rowan was right. Penny's uncle, Alistair's son, would have never given Spaulding the blessing to marry his niece. But since the fire had killed her parents, he had the opportunity to wed her. Knox would have never found her wandering in the forest alone and brought her back to the manor to live with us. Exactly, Rowan said. A good omen. Sometimes things must be left in ruin to allow new life to flourish. You do know Penny's father was Knox's brother, right? The Fleshers seem to have perished one by one. They were no easy deaths, either. Each involved suffering and pain. It's unsettling. It's like there's someone or something that doesn't want them around. The sisters and I have not felt such energies. You could always get an outside opinion from Lilith, perhaps. That's not outside. She's a little biased, being Knox's wife. Now, you are just fishing for reasons not to go upstairs, Rowan said pointedly. Spaulding pressed his lips together. Maybe Rowan was speaking the truth. Spaulding was getting cold feet. Now that he had a wife and soon a child, he was longing for the days of being a bachelor on a quest to discover who he was. Now that he had found his place in life, the wonder of the world had dissolved. This was the new normal. The chase was better than the catch. Life had always been uneasy, and he was used to it. But this was different. Spaulding wasn't used to feeling fear within. He had to overcome his own trepidation. The days of being a young man were over. It was time for Spaulding to take the same role as his father had taken before him, for his new family. Footsteps came from the entrance of the manor, and another woman appeared. A blonde, Knox's wife, Lilith. Rowan, Lilith said, we'd best need you now. Penny needs all the support she can get. She didn't blink. Spaulding got the hint. Yes, it was unconventional for him to be in during the birthing, but he had to be there. The fear was in his head. The social customs were, too. He would go into that room, filled with women, and be part of the birth of his child. There was a first for everything. Okay, Spaulding said, freeing his hands from his coat pockets. Good, Rowan said with a warm smile. The three entered the manor, with Lilith taking the lead. Spaulding followed. The stairs creaked with each step they took as they reached the second floor. Penny's groans could be heard more clearly. There is nothing easy about being in labor. Spaulding knew enough women to grasp that they went through hell. Lilith gently pushed open the door, leading into the bedroom where a young redhead lay on the bed, legs apart, sweating and panting drastically. Beside her were the other two midwives, Rachel and Elise. Knox's sister, Vivian, was on the other side of the bed. Candles were on each side of the bedside dresser. The curtains were closed. You're doing wonderful, Rowan said while hurrying over to Penny's bedside. She took her hand with the other two midwives, who had their eyes closed, whispering rambles that Spaulding could not hear. Lilith went to the end of the bed frame and kneeled down, ready for the child. Spaulding stayed near Vivian and Lilith, 
stopping a few paces to the side, watching and waiting for the child. He put his hands in his pockets again, feeling his palms moisten from anticipation. This was happening right in front of them. His wife was giving birth to their son, presumably. Not many men experience these delicate moments. Spaulding had never been one for the normal. This fit his character well. Penny let out a yelp of pain and gripped Rowan's hand tightly. Her arm shook as the other two midwives held onto her forearm and continued to ramble. Vivian held onto Penny's opposite hand, stroking it gently as Penny squeezed with all her might. That's it, Loth said while extending her hand. The power is within you. An odd sound came from the window, like the beat of heavy wings as a sudden gust of wind blew through the room, causing the candles to flicker. The door slammed shut with a bang at the rapid change in pressure. An owl's hoot pierced the silence. Spalding eyes locked on the window. He thought it was closed, and a glance confirmed it. The curtains moved only slightly. The sound stopped, but the candles flickered some more as the eerie breeze continued. The sudden draft caught Rowan's attention. She stopped mumbling and looked over at Spalding meeting his eyes for a moment with slight frown, then returned to the chant with her sisters. There's always something, Spalding thought. Maybe the window was open just a crack, or perhaps the draft came from downstairs. Perhaps it was something else entirely. Nothing shocked Spalding these days. He put the strange draft out of his mind. He only felt concern, uncertain if he could live up to his new responsibilities. You're doing wonderful, Lilith said. Penny's groan changed into a yell just as the squeaky cries of a baby joined in. Lilith moved forward while taking something in her hands. Spalding couldn't see it, but he knew it was the baby. That was his child. Vivian, Lilith said. Right, Vivian said, grabbing a steel knife from the dresser. Lilith raised the baby's umbilical cord. The gentle cries grew louder as the baby became aware it was leaving the womb. We're not done, said Rachel as she brushed her own red hair aside, leaning forward and extending her hands toward Penny's birth canal. Elise joined her and inhaled sharply. You've been blessed, Penny, said Elise with a wide smile. Spaulding's heart pounded in his ribcage. A second baby? Twins! He had been through many near-death experiences. Jolts of adrenaline pumped through his body. Spalding had felt fire ignite him. Yet, none of those memories matched what he was experiencing right now. This was amplified. One child was already in Lilith's hand, and a second was on its way. Penny groaned, shifting her arms and shoulders around as her face tensed up, turning bright red. She made another vigorous push letting out a cry of pain. Vivian had removed the umbilical cord of the first child. Spalding had completely lost track of what was happening, staring in wonder at the whole scene. Lilith handed the wrapped up child over to Vivian as she prepared for the arrival of the second baby. A tiny whine picked up as Lilith reached for the twin. Beautiful, Rowan said with a smile. Elise let go of Penny and hurried over to assist Lilith as she held the second child. Vivian cradled the first baby with both arms, 
staring at the tiny pink head covered in bodily fluids. The Divine, Spaulding thought. He wasn't sure why he thought those words, but the concept of a holy process was not technically wrong. He and Penny had conceived life. The phrasing was just a little off the wall. The midwives liked to pepper their explanations with dazzling, fantastic descriptions of mundane real-world scenarios. Whatever word one chose to use, it didn't change the fact that Penny and Spaulding were the parents of twin babies. Two beautiful little girls, Rachel said, squeezing Penny's hand tightly. You are the strength to your children and family. You'll make a wonderful mother. Penny's eyes opened. She panted heavily before her eyes rolled back and closed again. Her head landed on the propped up pillows as her fingers extended outward and her legs descended. Rachel continued to hold her hand, gently stroking her hair with her fingers. Spaulding gripped his pocket watch with his sweaty hand as he put on a closed smile. His whole face should be covered in joy, he knew. It wasn't. A part of him still wanted a son. Wishful thinking. Life had thrown him another surprise. You're a mother, Rachel said with a smile. Penny turned her head away from Rachel while trying to shift her body away from her. Fire. Pain. Mun. She mumbled. Rest, dear. You did wonderfully, Rachel said. Rowan walked up to Spaulding keeping her eyes on the other women as they cleaned up the two baby girls. She stopped as she reached him, whispering. So, are you glad you were able to witness this? She asked. Of course, Spaulding said. I've never seen anything like it. Neither have I, Rowan said. The wind, Spaulding thought. Is Penny fine? She must be exhausted, Rowan said. What I meant was the signs. Signs? Spaulding asked. The windows are closed. Wind can't blow in here, Rowan said. Spaulding stared at her hazelnut eyes. He wasn't sure if she was loopy or using rational thought. He'd seen the wind himself, felt its cool breeze. He also knew the midwives, but not that well. If anything, this had been his most intimate interaction with them. He didn't take anything at face value even unexplainable wind. I'll have to ponder the abnormality of your twins' girl's birth, Rowan said. This has nothing to do with me being here, does it? Spaulding asked. I doubt it. Please, don't let this get to your head. Embrace your wife and daughters. Yes, of course. Spaulding snapped back to the moment. He had two beautiful little girls. He stepped closer to meet his daughters for the first time. He watched Penny, whose breath and limbs relaxed. Her eyes remained closed. Spaulding thought she'd want to see her girls right away as he did. Then again, she had just given birth to two babies, something Spaulding would never understand. Her distant demeanor and the wind were troubling, despite what Rowan said. He couldn't keep his mind off it. Nothing was ever normal with the Fleshers. He approached Lilith and Vivian, who held his little girls as Elise gently washed their skin. A full smile spread across his face. There was the joy. All sensations of cold feet dissipated. Those were his children. 
Sons or daughters, it did not matter. The two pink little beings that wiggled and cried were savage girls. He was a savage, a man of honor and duty. He would serve his family. Chapter 2 Naturally Abnormal Duty This was the utmost importance. Spaulding's mind replayed the surreal and concerning birthing of his twin girls on repeat. The event had moved so swiftly, he was unable to see everything. The candles, the wind, Penny's distance, the midwives, the surprise of two babies. He wasn't sure if it meant anything or if he was overthinking the situation. Rowan had seemed uncertain what to think too. He took a puff of his cigarette as he sat on the chair on the veranda. The sun was gone. Stars filled the night sky. Spaulding had a small lantern beside him, casting a soft light over the visible area. The birthing, he thought, watching the smoke leaving his lungs and dissipating into the night sky. Whoo! Came a sound from a nearby branch. Spaulding spotted an owl. It stared right at him, unmoving. Eerie, Spaulding thought. The owl's gaze locked onto him only supported the strangeness of the evening. His staring contest with the animal ended as the midwives came out onto the veranda. They held their bags and lanterns. Rowan waved at him. Spaulding waved back, saying, You sure you don't want to stay the evening? It's fairly dark out. Elise shook her head. No, but thank you. That is quite kind of you. Rowan nodded. There is no need for us to stay here. Our duty is done. Spaulding got up from his seat and walked over to the three women, extinguishing his cigarette in the process. He was a gentleman, after all, and didn't feel like asking for permission to smoke in front of the ladies. How is Penny doing? Spaulding asked. Rowan shrugged. She will be fine. The poor girl just needs more rest. You seem so concerned. Yeah, Spaulding said softly. She wouldn't even look at the babies. She mentioned the fire again. Rowan patted Spaulding's arm. She's just tired. You had a long and busy day. Sleep it off and see how things are in the morning. Spaulding leaned in and whispered, But you said you've never seen anything like this either. Penny only mentions the fire when she has an episode. Yes, Rowan said, but there's not much we can do right now. Spaulding, you have two beautiful little girls. Be happy with that. Spaulding wasn't satisfied with their response. Let myself and the sisters ponder over the evening. Your job is to be a father. Help Vivian and Lilith while your wife recovers. Spaulding leaned back and exhaled slowly. Maybe he was overthinking this. Rutherford Manor had a habit of attracting the strange. It made it a challenge to trust things were okay. He was used to vigilance, to presuming things to be dangerous. Spaulding was always on his toes. That was the life he lived, father or not. Enjoy the night, Rowan said. The other two midwives waved goodbye as they stepped off the veranda, walking down the dark path. Their lanterns were their only guide. The three of them slowly disappeared into the distance, diminishing to a small speck of light. Spaulding was now alone, with his own paranoia. Alistair would have been able to relate. Wait till the morning, Spaulding thought. 
Penny was still asleep. He knew the process of giving birth had to be incredibly exhausting. Still, he couldn't grasp why Penny had been so distant, or why she hadn't seemed pleased to see her daughters being born. He had presumed that motherly instinct would override any moment of exhaustion or any bizarre mental relapse. Apparently, he was wrong. They hadn't even named their girls yet. They were supposed to decide on a name together for a single baby. He sighed. He would wait. Penny's distance was just another inexplicable pivot for him to ride with. Just like when Alistair had introduced the family into the resurrectionist business, and just like when Alistair died, those fleshers. Spaulding reached into his pocket and pulled out another smoke from his tin case, along with a match. With a flick, he lit the cigarette and puffed on it several times, returning to the chair he sat down and let out a deep sigh. Another one came a deep, stern voice. A large, lumbering man with long black hair flowing from under his hat walked towards him from the manor. Billy. There were dried, dark liquid stains in the cracks of his fingertips and knuckles. Remnants were on his shirt too. Another, who, came from the owl, catching Billy's attention. The two stared at one another. Then, the bird took flight. Were you just creeping in the dark there? Spaulding asked. It's rude not to say hi to our guests. Billy raised his hand, bringing the stains into view. They had a slight red hue to them. Ah, Spaulding said, knowing exactly what Billy had been doing. Vivian tells me that Penny gave birth to two little girls. Congratulations, my friend, Billy said, taking a seat on the empty chair beside Spaulding. Thank you. It's an unreal experience. I'm not even sure why the midwives wanted me there. They said it was a good omen. Spaulding puffed on his cigarette. Yet, you don't seem so sure, Billy said, lighting his own smoke. No, there's always something strange with the flushers. Billy nodded. Unfortunately, that is true. Spaulding looked back at the entrance to the manor and then leaned over to Billy. Have you ever noticed anything odd about Vivian? She was a flesher after all. Other than the doll? No, she is the light in my dark world. Spaulding smirked. Romantic. You should be rejoicing, Spaulding. You have a family now. Whatever strange things you felt or saw, they don't matter. Do not let that change the fact that you must give those girls love and be there for your wife. I know, I know, Spaulding sighed. Nothing's ever duck soup in Rutherford Manor, is it? Billy looked down at his blood-stained hands. No. So was that another body for Knox? Spaulding asked. Yes, Billy said. Spaulding wanted to read Billy the riot act about the morals of the situation. But, hell, he was one to talk. Along with Alistair and Billy... He had taken an active part in the resurrectionist business, and they had even broken the rules of the black market industry. They killed to provide the freshest bodies for top dollar, all in the name of survival. Spaulding had been completely numb to what they were doing then. They were desperate. The sickening part was, he knew that if he ever found himself returning to that low position, 
Spalding would do it all over again. Especially now that the stakes were higher. He had a family to feed. I don't get why Knox is so obsessed with going down this absurd path, Spalding finally said. He is like me, Spalding. We must feed the darkness. You mean your addiction? Spalding asked. I know you don't buy it, Spalding. Let me tell you, though, there is a darkness that shrouds Rutherford Manor. It lurks through the town of Rowley. Something haunts me in my dreams. Perhaps even the same thing that haunts your wife. Things were way simpler back when we body snatched, and that was complicated. As I reckon, you wanted to move away from that life, Billy said. Yeah, I want a simple, normal life. That's what two little girls and a wife need. But I know that you and Knox are doing worse in that basement. Billy said nothing, knowing he was right. Perhaps I'm creating nostalgia for a previous life. I was different then, but it was simple, Spaulding said. In retrospect, he saw it being the easier way. The resurrectionist business was cut and dried. They found someone, knocked them dead, got paid by the Irish mob, and celebrated with Fight Club and women. Billy chuckled. I have a very different memory of how our resurrectionist career went. Yeah, you're probably right. Spaulding's memory relapsed to the difficulties they'd had. The complications with Alistair's mysterious death and Knox's obsession with vengeance. Their business had gone south. Fast. I may not have known Alistair well, but his death changed everything. I could see it in your eyes, and I could see it in Knox's, Billy said. Knox was never the same after. Spaulding shivered, thinking about the brutal execution the boy performed on one of the Irish mobsters, Niles, the man whom they'd pegged as responsible for killing Alistair. The facts never fully lined up. He was just a good scapegoat. Knox wanted to believe it, and there was no arguing with the flesher when they made up their mind. Neither were you. That girl sure sent you for a spin, Billy said. Irene, Spaulding thought. The damn redhead. She was unlike any woman he'd ever seen. Her attitude and sense of unconventional fashion were unique. She popped up in his thoughts occasionally. He could recall her scent, her touch and her way with words. The memory of her was burned into his mind. Then again, perhaps he was putting the nostalgia factor on her too. Good riddance, Spaulding said, flicking his cigarette butt over the veranda. I don't need those type of women in my life anymore. I have Penny. Just be wary of the flesher's history, Billy said. You too. You're about to get yourself married to one. Billy fiddled with his hands. Yes, I'm quite excited. Nervous. Aye, it will raise some eyebrows, Spaulding said. I would expect nothing else. White folk are troubled by my people, Billy said. You'll never find any of that here, my friend, Spaulding said. It sickened him to think that people were still stuck in their bigoted ways with the indigenous. Everyone was so hung up on the them-against-us concept that they couldn't look their fellow human beings in the eye. Spaulding was worried about Billy and Vivian. 
A white girl marrying an indigenous man. That would get some double looks. You'll make a delightful husband, Spaulding said. A wedding is a thrilling experience. The bonding of two families, forever intertwined until death. Is that how you felt at your wedding? Billy asked. Spaulding paused. His mind raced back to his wedding day with Penny. Small ceremony with only the important people there. It seemed so long ago. Penny's bright smile and her beautiful long white dress were stunning. Spaulding felt like a lucky man. Yes, sir, Spaulding said. The day of our wedding was wonderful. We were just in the moment with each other. That's encouraging to hear. Will you get Father Isaac to marry you too? Spaulding asked. Of course, Billy said. He knows the fleshers well. That's my concern, Spaulding said. What do you mean? Sorry, not for you. My mind is all over the place. Elaborate. I meant for my girls. I'd like to find a church. You really do want to leave every part of the past behind, Billy said. A fresh start, Spaulding said. The two stared off into the darkness for several moments. Spaulding began to sink in his own mind once more. Thoughts of the Fleshers, his past, the future, and the birth of his twin girls. Then there was Penny's odd behavior and Rowan's concerns about the unusual events. What did it all mean? Vivian is a wonderful girl, Billy said, pulling Spaulding back to reality. She keeps me grounded. She keeps the curse at bay. Isn't that why you go hunting folk for Knox? Spaulding asked. You can't deny nature, Spaulding. Vivian keeps me grounded so I don't completely steer into the madness, Billy said. Knox is not so different. Lilith keeps him under control. He is obsessed with death, as am I. We work well together, giving each other purpose. Of course, Spaulding said. The Fleshers have a way of attracting like-minded people, for better or worse. Is that how your family got involved? Billy asked. Partly. It's a long history. My father certainly had a taste for the uncanny. As do I. We all seem to gravitate towards the Fleshers. Perhaps they are cursed, too. Great, Spaulding said. He didn't believe in curses and didn't want to bring it up again with Billy. The idea of the family being cursed was unsettling. The Fleshers had experienced plenty of unexplainable scenarios. He'd watched his father work with them. Spaulding worked with them. He preferred to believe that it was all a coincidence. Besides, Penny was a savage now. He didn't know how all the heebie-jeebies stuff worked, but she was part of his family. Maybe that meant something. Or maybe he was playing with superstitious thoughts. Knox is very much like his father, Billy said. You think? In terms of his obsession with the dark, Billy said. Yes, sir. I'm very much aware of that. I've seen the kiddo grow up into the man he is now. Something tells me he hasn't completely explored how deep that darkness goes. He paused. Why did you have to go and get a body so late? Spaulding asked trying to change the subject. He was tired of overthinking these conspiracy theories of family curses and the supernatural. 
Knox wanted a fresh one, Billy said. Why, though? Didn't you grab one the other week? Usually that keeps him busy for a while, Spaulding said. He's having a business meeting today, Billy said. The government man? Tonight? Spaulding asked. Correct. They are still in negotiation for a new contract, Billy said. Knox knew how to work whatever networks he had from university. It baffled Spaulding. Somehow Knox had been able to swing a contract with the government to continue his unorthodox methods of scientific exploration. Alistair's way of earning a living had been completely different. However, Knox was, without a doubt, Alistair's son. He found a way to provide for his family. I hope the meeting goes well, Billy said. All I know is Knox gives me a reason to be here at Rutherford Manor. Hey, Spaulding smirked. Don't forget, you've got a very important role in the butcher shop. Thank you, Spaulding, Billy smiled. You know the butcher shop is a good front. Front? Spaulding replied, feigning as if he was offended. The butcher shop is our livelihood. Smart ass, Billy said. Spaulding let out a light chuckle. It felt good to laugh, even if it was coming from a sore spot in Spaulding's heart. In Spaulding's futile attempt to steer his life and family into normal existence, he had started up the butcher shop. It seemed like a soft landing to get back into civilized society. He was familiar with meat, the human variety at least. Animals weren't so different. Unfortunately, the town of Rowley wasn't a booming economy and the butcher shop never provided enough income for the families of Rutherford Manor. Now, here, he found himself letting Knox explore his dark obsessions for the real cash. A little late for a meeting, isn't it? Spaulding asked. You've seen the government man, Billy said. That's his style. Yeah, Spaulding said. Because he's the devil. Spaulding stood up, catching a glimpse of distant lights pulling up to the manor. It was a black wagon, making humming noises. One of those mechanical wagons that didn't need a horse. An automobile, people called it. It was a device that the rich or city folk had the luxury of owning. The turn of the century had brought with it amazing inventions that Spaulding could hardly fathom. His newborn girls were in for an exciting world. Want me to inform Knox? Spaulding asked. No need. I'll handle it, Billy said, standing upright. Get some rest, Spaulding. Billy moved past Spaulding, walking towards the automobile that parked not far from the veranda steps. A man sat in the driver's seat, wearing a deep blue suit and a hat. His face was obscured by shadows. The mysterious government man. No one knew much about him. Spaulding almost preferred it that way. The less that Spaulding knew, the less the man would interact with him. Which, in return, meant his family would be safer from Knox's unorthodox government work. His family was what mattered, not his curiosity. And that is the end of episode one. We covered chapter one and two. Uh, getting into the start of Fire, Pain, and Ruin, a Rutherford Manor novel. Keep watch for next week. 
we'll get into chapter three and four and see where uh, Spaulding's life takes him. It's off to a weird start already. We had uh, the birthing of the twins. It got strange. Rowan wasn't too sure. And we got a brief background of Spaulding's life with Billy and Alistair. So if you enjoyed this, share with your friends, and I'll catch you next week. Ciao.